Some may claim that she has nine lives. Well, she has certainly made brilliant use of at least one of them. Dancer, singer, author, actress, and undoubtedly one of the sexiest and most attractive of all women for all time. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. Watching America All my life It's panic in America Oh, 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 oh It's trouble in America From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. Welcome to Watching America. It started with a kiss, or at least the desire for one. You see, a six-year-old boy found that he suddenly wanted to kiss a grown-up lady. He considered the lady to be the most beautiful woman in all the world. And yet... As the music of alluring sirens played in the background, this lady was threatening the boy's hero. The sonic beam in this gun can slice like a hot knife through the high-priced spread. Ah, uh, but I've reached an impasse. Shall I steal your voice or end your life? Whichever you decide, I'm sure it'll be the wrong choice. You've a pretty sharp tongue for a man about to say goodbye to this world, Batman. Beg, beg for your mortal existence. What are you waiting for? Can't you see how I feel about you, Batman? How I want you? It won't work, Catwoman. If you're going to kill me, you might as well get it over with. But the feline had a soft spot. I can't kill the only man that I've... Don't worry, Catwoman. You wouldn't have killed me even though you shot the gun. The anti-bat sonic device in my utility belt would have deflected the beam. <laughs> well, it was a good plot while it lasted, huh? Yes, Catwoman, one of your very best. Thank you, Anne. When I get out of jail, will you take me on a date? We'll have plenty of time to think about that, Catwoman. Several years, I'm afraid. If I were to kiss you, would you think I was a bad girl? But, uh... No. No, of course not. Catwoman. Kissing is one of the most natural things in the world. Uh, some people kiss almost every day, and I'm told. Well? Come on, Batman, the police are here. Boy, blunder. Catwoman, may I take a rain check on that kiss? Certainly, Batman. Anytime. The Catwoman confessed her desire to be kissed by Batman, while I, as the six-year-old boy, forever desired to kiss Julie Newmar. Welcome to Watching America. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and it is, with utter sincerity, my great, 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 underline that three times, pleasure to have Julie Newmar as my guest. She is known to most of us as the alluring feline Catwoman of the 1960s fame Batman. But she is more, far more, for her life and artistry cannot be surmised or limited to six hours of villainary behaviour, albeit memorable. For she is an actress, she's a dancer, She's a musician, and moreover, a provocateur of insightful, original thought. She's brilliant. And I think the operative word to describe her in every sense is lady. Julie Newmar, welcome to Watching America. I haven't heard that word lady in decades. Oh, I love is the it word. because you're English? It feels so good. Oh, good. I like the old-fashioned. I like to be an actress. Not an actor. I'm not yes. an actor. Yes. No, no, no. I like the feminine. And please don't take it away from us, me, anyone. No, I, <laughs> I, I don't imagine how anyone possibly could, certainly in your, in your case at all. It, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's inconceivable that anyone could think of you of anything else but a lady. I love the word lady because to me it, is, uh, it marshals the concept of femininity at its height with dignity. And those apply beautifully to you. Well, we, we need this little bit of difference. As the French say, vive la différence. Yes. We're not that much different, but just enough to be 
interesting. Mm, yes. <laughs> to have cre- to have allowed few, two or three centuries of charm, I do think it came from the continent and from France. And mm, I'm in agreement well. with you. Let's look at your life, if we may, and I'm going to start at the beginning. You were born in East Hollywood. What are some of your fondest memories of that? I'm talking about prior to being seven. What are some of your happiest memories? I was born in a Hollywood hospital. I don't know whether that matters, but it does, kind of. It it was a a nice place, a good place. We had the great big red streetcar that took us all the way down Hollywood Boulevard to the Broadway Hollywood. And that was my first experience on stage, actually. Was I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> you, your first experience, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, my dear, uh, was at the Broadway department store in Hollywood. Well, and you it was an Alice in Wonderland spectacle? I was Alice. And my mother told me that I memorized the entire script in one reading. Wow. And that just throws me for a loop these days because I can't do that anymore. <laughs> well, I don't think I could either, to be quite frank with you. But you had an interesting experience. Now, I, I'm, I'm a person who likes to connect dots, and I've noticed some dots that perhaps you're not aware of, and here they are. Oh. When you were performing, according to your own words, at the, uh, the Hollywood Broadway department store, mm-hmm. a mirror, if I'm not incorrect, fell on you. Is that correct? Well... Almost, Alan. The mirror, as in Alice in Wonderland, she walks through it. Mm-hmm. But on, in the production, it was made of cellophane. It had a large frame, and it was a piece of cellophane. And there was sort of a little scratch somewhere there. But being the lights being what they were, I put my hand into it, and I didn't was not able to walk through the whole thing fell on me. But you know, you always remember the most the loudest, the most inappropriate or silly dumb things. I remember uh, telling the story of when I danced in I uh, was eighteen years old and and my whole body was painted gold, Servant of the Nile. Yes. The name of the movie. Right, I've seen and it. And I was supposed to be seducing um, Cleopatra's um, bow at the time. Mark Antony, I think, probably. Yes, and yeah. it was a good dance. I did the research on it, and I, it was a splendid dance. You can see it on YouTube. But the thing that I remember is, is the a piece of scotch tape was attached to my belly button, because in those <laughs> days, and this is back in the 50s, you couldn't have a belly button, at least not on screen. Yeah, you had the Hayes Commission. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those silly, silly, funny things you remember longer, maybe, than the worthwhile things, I'm not sure. Well, going back to the dots, this is why I found a connection, uh, and you may not have been aware of it, but mirrors have been prominent or are significant to you because you had a fake mirror fall on you or nearly fall on you when you were seven and made your debut. And then uh, in your garden, you have uh, a secret garden, which is a fake Alice Wonderland door, which is actually a mirror. Yes. And you've spoken many times of entertainment being a mirror of society. So there's a theme of mirrors in your life. I'm, I'm not sure if you were aware of that. No, I'm not. But interesting that you brought it up. But it's these mirrors are more of the imagination because the Alice in Wonderland gate that I created was one of the first uh, pieces that I created for my garden. I have four secret gardens and four beautiful gardens. I live in Los Angeles where things grow very nicely. And um, uh, this Alice in Wonderland gate, I I created it. It's only about four and a half feet tall, not a regular seven to eight feet tall, so that you begin to get that sense of the Lilliputian. And it's set at an angle so you do not see yourself in the mirror. And you walk, (laughs) all you see is a reflection of the garden, perhaps all off, off your left shoulder. And being beautiful, the garden, you walk toward it and you would get the feeling like, Alice, you could open the gate and go through to the other side. 
But the other side of this gate is my neighbor's garage. There is no other side, in other words. It's only your imagination. Well, what a glorious camouflage. What a brilliant thing to do. You've been very much into horticulture. In fact, you have had a number of flowers named after you. You have a rose named after you. You have a begonia named after you. You have an iris named after you and a daylily named after you. Um, That is a mark of distinction. It certainly is a mark of desire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've always been desirable and that's never ceased. Well, you know, you put your word out and somebody hears it. And they say, <laughs> they call you up and they bring over this bouquet of roses and you, and it's the Julie Newmar rose. It's, it's like the perfume is so exquisite. But then roses are. Yes. And I have 80 roses in my garden. And the Julie Newmar rose has a daughter. It, roses can, you know, you breathe yes. them, and so on. Yes. And it's, it has the uh, name of Vavum. Vavum. I, I, didn't, I didn't name it. Anyway, it is Vavum. It's a very bright, intense orange. And you can see it from across the walk. And it just, I, love, I just love flowers. I love flowers. Because I think the gardens, if you're lucky enough to have one, and during COVID, a lot of people were improved their gardens. Good time mm-hmm. to do have done it. Yes, it is. It's a healing place. It brings you into the center of what what you bring to this world, the importance of you. It centers you. It, it, it makes you forget the flotsam and going on around you that you don't need to carry forward. So whenever I have a dilemma in my mind or business <clears throat> or real estate, I walk out in the garden and calm down. I'm just seeing six butterflies out the window of my office now. Oh, how lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Your garden is a haven for you and a retreat, Mm -hmm. uh, but not only for you, but also for your son, John. Your mm-hmm. son, John, is a man of 39 years of age. Mm-hmm. But as, have you, as you have shared, um, he has had six or eight different challenges. Well, uh, maybe 15, but that's all right. Okay, well, maybe 15. <laughs> and um, he's, he's deaf and does mm-hmm. not talk, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean he doesn't communicate. Well, the communication's very deep. I mean, it's just... I built a lot of the surprises in the garden for him. There's a a pool built for him that was created when we went to Bali, after we went to Bali. And, um, oh, yes. Uh, and I have four secret gardens, and secret gardens are made for children. Yes. Just the stones that you put on the pathway are maybe the size of a child's foot, you know, so that you have to walk very carefully and slowly and you have to look at things and and I don't know God made the variety of plants and flowers and all things so extraordinary I think it's it's just the immediate presence of of how fortunate we are to live on this planet Absolutely. is that not so Absolutely. You know, Julie, the thing that um, I see very closely tied and, uh, and have here as part of my notes is, is John, your son, also mm-hmm. tied with your garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've made a, a kind of a synthesis of the, mm-hmm. the person of your son and mm-hmm. the environment of the garden. As you said, you've made um, basically four secret gardens. But you have spoken of four sectors of communication, physical, mental, mm-hmm. emotional and spiritual. Um, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about, about each of those categories with you, um, the physical. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people will think physically, not that it's not an important element it is, but they will immediately go to the sexual when they think about the physical. Why the, not? Like that, yes. Continue. Uh, but there is also more than just the sexual as well. There's just the genuine joy of, of being embraced, being beheld, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, being enraptured with another person, be it a familial person or a friend and what have you. Um, some years ago, there was a book that came out which was called The Languages of Love. 
with your son, John, and if this is too personal, then you could say, Alan, please, I'd rather talk about other things. But, no, 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 um, go ahead. Um, but with John, I've looked at photographs of the two of you, and it's very evident to me in his face that he is very much aware of you and comforted by your presence and your embrace. Um, by touch, how does he communicate with you and you communicate with him? It's called being. We're, you know, we are so evolved intellectually and so on, and we're so busy and we're so active. And there's so much good that we can say and do and act upon. Mm. But the sheer being of a human being, you see, what is so extraordinary about John is that he fosters in his presence just being with him unconditional love. Yes. And that's the way you kind of ought to see everybody. Yes. You have said that John has taught you to see the the, the good in others. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, you, you can bring immediate peace to a room or an argument or yes. something. If you can, if you go to that part of just, you have to allow it. You don't act on it. It, it acts on you. Yes. Um, hmm. And it's, you can see it in the presence of great, great people like the Dalai Lama. I remember when I saw on television him walking into, it was into the Congress he was with all the Congress people, and they changed. Something lifted them, gave them a, a greater sense of themselves and their, and, and their true importance because he was in that room. But I, I have found that there are people who teach us different things. One of the things I was impressed by you is you said that you've gleaned uh, insights from many different people in your life, which you've tried to incorporate and and, and use. Uh, and I presume that would be part of the nine lives of Julie Newmar when the book comes out. And one of the things I'm picking up on you is that you look at people's spirits. You're very much aware of the um, the presence in a person. You have expressed, Julie, um, mm -hmm. that... Uh, we talked about the physical elements of the sectors, the four sectors of connection, physical, now we're into mental, that mm -hmm. you have uh, allowed yourself and taught yourself to surmount, if you will, pain, both physical and emotional, by your thoughts. H how do you employ that? We are on this life for its joy, for our own growth, and for freedom. Those three things. And if you're not feeling good, it's just like a train or, or I kind of think of a boat even better when you have the main mast. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of storms around and people doing this and COVID here and misery there. But if you imagine, and that's why our minds are so helpful in changing the outside because it's only you that matters here, that you imagine yourself straight up and down like that ballast, like in, per, in a perfect, being in perfect balance. Mm -hmm. And even in a storm, that's possible. Do you try and control the rudder or do you, do you let something else control the rudder of your life? If you're that main mast of a Well, of you a do and you don't, don't, don't we? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think let go of pain and try to feel joy. Try to feel harmony. Appreciation is the key to having all of that because appreciation is the next thing to love. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And when you are in balance and going, you get that thing straight up and down like at the top of your head to the bottom, you know, and you breathe, and you start to feel good inside, and things are not, you know. And then the higher self, the higher being, or the the infinite mind, you have you have access to. You are unquestionably a beautiful woman, 
and uh, have continued to be throughout every single decade of your life. That is a welcomed thing and a desirable thing in, in most persons' list of what they would like to have as attributes. And one of them would be, most people would say, I'd like to be beautiful. You are beautiful. Has that ever been an obstruction, though, for you to be able to assess if people see the real you or if it's just the as beautiful and delightful as they are, the external trappings of who you appear to be versus, dare I invoke a very old-fashioned term, soul? But that's okay. If that's all they see, then they're welcome to it. But my mother told me the first word I ever spoke and was, was the three-word syllable, and it was the and it was beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, yes. And I've always noticed that that's what is a theme of my life. That's, I mean, it doesn't have to be the theme of anyone else's life, but it's a theme of how you behave towards others, how you dress, what your manners are, um, how you treat others, and so on. And it, it suits me. And I like it, and I try to stay true to it. Um, but everyone for his own deliverance, so to speak. Now, your mother was a very beautiful woman. Um, I've seen pictures of her. She was a Ziegfeld dancer. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, I don't know if this has ever been mentioned, probably not, but when I saw the, the picture which is attributed to her as a dancer, mm-hmm. she reminded me very much of the singer Bernadette Peters, at least in the eyes she had similarity. Huh. Oh, lovely. And um, your mother invested herself in you. She wanted you to learn the piano, and, and uh, she was very eager for you to, to know about opera. You studied opera for eight years, Julie, as mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you grew up in the environs of the studios of California, but then you went to New York, and you went to the actor's studio. You uh, saw Marilyn Monroe there uh, and uh, got to know people like June Havoc. And um, you, you became friends with the, with the New York set and the New York crowd. But one of the most prominent things, as far as professional teaching was concerned, you came under the tutelage of Jack Cole, the choreographer. Oh, yes. What was that like? Oh, well, Jack Cole was the greatest choreographer of my time. Um, he, he was the one who made Marilyn, who changed her mannerisms she no longer was itchy coo. In the dances that he gave her or the performances, the, he, tra- he, and she knew it because she had an, an instinctual intelligence for what was good for Marilyn, for the most part. Um, now, what was your question? Well, you were under his tutelage. Uh, one of the things that he did um, oh. is isolation movement. Uh, and, yes. uh, and I noticed that in the role of Catwoman, Julie, you brought your dancing techniques, even though it's not overtly evident to people. But if, if people have studied even just a, a basic semblance of an understanding of dance, you clearly conducted the character of Catwoman as a dancer. Uh, you made very interesting choreographical choices. For instance, there's a scene where you descend a staircase, your leg goes up on the banister and slides down very seductively. Yeah. Um, there's, but there were things that you would do with your body. Suddenly, there'd be a change of rhythm and a beat. And there's, in dancing, there's you know the, the standard expected rhythm, and then there can be a defiance of that in an offbeat where you move. You would do that with your head. And then there'd be other moments when your head would be perfectly still, but your torso was moving. Or conversely, your body was still, but you would isolate maybe your arm and what have you. I'm wondering, am I, am I misreading this? But it seemed to me that you employed Jack Cole's isolation of, of the body parts movement to your advantage in the character. Is that a fair thing to say? I did, but I stole it more from Bob Fosse. Choreographer, ah, yeah. and, okay. and and Gwen Verdon, because Gwen was 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 uh, the muse for Jack Cole. He she was so great. There's a big book, two volume book, will be coming out on uh, Gwen Verdon soon. You want to you want to okay. read it? Mm-hmm. Um, what I love most in life, of course, is comedy, and but physical comedy. Yes. When you 
get those extra laughs because internally you know the truth of something, of someone's behavior or what they're missing or what they want or what's going wrong or what's in their heads. I love silliness. Yes. Yes. I, I love that kind of physical performance. Well, you're very playful. I mean, I've 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 noted yes. that in interviews. You're incredibly yes. playful, yes. and and you it uh, it's like a delightful uh, aroma, a perfume that is is sprinted into the air around you, and you know just when to do it. Um, you mentioned Bob Fosse. Did you admire dancers that came before you, like Eleanor Powell and Sid Charisse? Did they have any influence on you? At least oh. what you saw on the screen. Oh golly, yes, I used to take class with. Sid Cherise here in Hollywood. Wow. We all did, you know, all our ballet classes. We have wonderful um, training out here for the arts. Well, your, your you mother's know. generation, if I may be so bold, strikes me as being more Busby Berkeley. I mean, with the Ziegfeld influence, it was uh, line formation dancing and what have you. Whereas once you start to get into Bob Fosse, Sid Cherise, and that kind of, it's more freeform, disciplined, but more freeform. Is, is that accurate? You're, you're very smart and very very knowledgeable. I think of Rita Hayworth, what uh, Jack Cole did for her in uh, when she wore that black satin gown and she yes. took the, that one glove off. Do you know what he told her <clears throat> to think about when she was doing that? I've got an idea and I don't know yeah, if I yeah, should I say it. Yeah, I better not say it. No, you can, you can say it. <laughs> are, are, we, are we talking about um, an item to prevent pregnancy? There you go. Okay. You got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, at some point, I understand, you you actually danced with Fred Astaire. That's unfair to Fred Astaire. <laughs> I think he took me in his arms. He, I danced maybe maybe three steps in a waltz, turned around, and off I flew off screen. Actually, it was as a favor to a choreographer to, um, uh, in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. What was, what was the movie? Um, anyways, just don't blink. But yes. I did bend my knees because when you wear heels, most dancers are taller than Fred Astaire. Yes. How tall <laughs> was he? I mean, you're 5'11", I if think- I'm correct. Five, eight and a half, nine, maybe, ah, okay. you know, you see. I know he was terribly embarrassed by his large hands uh, uh, in comparison to the, the width of his shoulders and torso. I, so he would always extend, he would extend his hands out away from his body. And you still see that, obviously, as evidence in his earlier films. I love uh, Fred Astaire films. But his hands are always away from his body. I never knew that. Yeah, take a look when we when we finish Good and heaven. pull up a, 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 a um, image of... of him on YouTube, and you'll see that when he dances, he loved to kept, keep his arms apart oh. so that his hands would be further from his body. Really? Yeah. Oh, look at that. I know he was the greatest dresser of all time oh, on yes. film. Yeah. Oh, my dear, don't you Debonair love the Dapper. clothes he wore? Oh, I do. Well, I'm, 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 I'm born in a wrong era. I'd love to be a dandy. I like, <laughs> I like, I like dressing up. I really do. You did a, a lovely bit, if I may bring to yeah. your attention, called Hot Weather. Uh, which is uh, available on YouTube as well, uh, which you did years ago. Do you remember doing that, a tune called Hot Weather? It looked like a variety show, Julie, and you oh, came out yes. and you... It, you it was Kay. It was a Danny Kaye special, I think for CBS. Oh, and yes. And you, you came out and you did this wonderful dance routine. Uh, oh, you were wearing yes. the mink in the beginning and you finally disrobe it, and it was utterly oh. glorious and fun. Yes, yes, I remember that. Hmm. And, and another piece you did was uh, Simon Says. Do you remember doing that? We're going to play a game. Ready? Ready! Simon Says to say precisely what I say to say. And Simon Says to make every move that I make. But Simon Says you got to say Simon Says before you do it. Really nothing to it. Simon Says... Got it straight? Demonstrate! Simon says taller, Simon says taller, Simon says small, Simon says smaller, Simon says jump, Simon says fall, Simon says quiver, Simon says crawl, Simon says up, Simon says down, up, down, up, down. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember that. 
Now, one of the unfair things about being uh, a dancer is like an athlete, you have a given period, not to suggest that you can't dance now, but you every dancer has a given period of time, if you will, where they, they have their prime period. And then slowly, uh, nature takes its course and one can't dance with the same vigor as they used to. I mean, that includes me, a dancing fool at a wedding. I can't do what I used to do. Um, uh, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Do you just start to take joy in watching others do it? Yes, always. We, we love old dance films, my goodness. But I think it 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 resolves into something else. You want to be a teacher or, or an actor or... Um, look at Burt Lancaster. Yes. Look at what where he came from as Gymnast. an acrobat. Yes. And how brilliant... I mean, you could see it in his face... Every, all, all that knowledge that his body had, all that knowledge, what a what a wonderful transition that was from being so physical into be to an entirely different career. And I think I, I've noticed that I have a different career every ten years of my life. Well, you have nine lives. Thank you. <laughs> I hope so. I can't wait for the book to come out. One of the things about dancing uh, is very often women are, are required to wear almost stiletto-type heels. And when you did Catwoman, you're wearing – people don't pay attention necessarily, but your boots have very high heels on them. And yet there's sequences where you were running across rooftops with Adam West beneath you, one layer beneath you, like a, almost like a writer's bungalow in an old studio lot. And you're on the roof – was that you running across in those high heels because you're so close to the edge? For sure. And it was the edge of a building, uh, oh, the film studios uh, near MGM in Culver City, right on the edge of the building. Oh. And the director says, look like you're pretending to fall up there. <laughs> so I did this kind of awkward thing, you, you know. Yeah, what? And but, then I fell backward. And into the deep river, and I was gone. And everyone four <laughs> years old was telling me these stories later on when I meet them in person. They say, oh, you actually were so happy when you lost your life in the river. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of falling, um, mm-hmm. Julie, you, mm-hmm. you skydived um, in the 1960s. You, uh, yes. Yeah. You, d- you did a jump. Uh, that would terrify me. You're so much braver than I am. What, what? made you decide to, to skydive. And you did it admirably well, by the way. You had a lovely landing. Um, I can I can't. Thank you. Right, very within four feet of the, I don't know, seven feet? Oh. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> you know, I think it's the, the dance training because I knew if they told me to do this, that, and the other, I could do it all. But I noticed that when I dropped out of the plane and I, I wasn't... Uh, in the arms of someone else. No, it, was, it wasn't a tandem that, jump. You did it by you yourself. You know, it, is, it really is scary because what happens is time, it, it, it's like an accordion. They tell you you count to 100, 200, like that. But it goes, what, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you pull it, <laughs> you know. And, um, oh my God, they didn't tell me that. But anyways, it went very well. And, it was fun. It, it, two other men had had turned the job down, and uh, I said yes. But you know, maybe I'm not that smart. Well, you're <laughs> certainly brave, and you're brilliant. Uh, so I respectfully disagree. You are most definitely smart. Well, I'm a dancer. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Watching America. I'm your host, Alan Campbell, and it is my uh, thrill to have Julie Newmar. Julie, I I first encountered you as a little boy in England, obviously, watching television, seeing you as the Catwoman. But you are also somebody with a great appreciation for for other formats of art. Uh, Mime. You were interested in Marceau Marceau and and Mime. How how did that uh, interest become ignited? Again, it's physical and, and it's comedy. Yes. And um, the first book that I ever wrote, The, um, the Conscious Catwoman Explains Life on Earth, um, has all of my mime pictures in it. It's a lovely book. Um, uh, oh, there's a picture of me upside down here with only a pair of stockings on or something. Has there <laughs> ever been a bad picture of you? No. No, Jill, oh, I don't think don't so. No, no, no. It's all about lighting, dear. But anyways, uh, I, I'm 
it's a really wonderful book. And it, it's, it's a book of not aphorisms, but how to make yourself better in life. Like I, like I, I tell tall girls, tall girls don't slump. Think of how many short guys out there would love to have your offspring stand up for them. <laughs> yes. Good. Oh, here, this is, this is very English. Good manners are wisdom practiced backwards. Oh, I like Bad that. manners are the throne of selfishness claiming to be individuality. Oh, boy, is that ever fitting for the time we live in. Do you like that? Oh, yeah, I love I like that. that. I adore that. I really do. And here's one. I think of Obama at one or two in the morning. This, this one is every profession has its scholarly duty. <laughs> well Isn't said. Isn't that true? It is. It is absolutely. I mean, I mean yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and women bloom later in life. Some of them, like roses, bloom and rebloom and rebloom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Perennials. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If, if you were a flower, what flower would you be? A rose. Definitely, yes. Now, do you have mm. thorns? I've got to ask that probing question. Oh, there was a wonderful quote by, and I have it in my book, of Abraham Lincoln. Let me see if I can find it real fast. It's okay, right we have time, no worries. Here we go. We can complain because rose bushes have thorns. Or rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Ah, I love it. That's that great. Well, I was talking to uh, your friend, uh, Mr. Mr. Ward, otherwise known as the Boy Blunder, and he said, mm-hmm. Alan, he says, I have a great title. And I said, what is it? He said, live every day as if it's your last, and one day you'll be right. Oh, isn't he clever? <laughs> He's smart, too. He's extremely rich. smart. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he that was the first job he ever had was as um, the boy blunder, as you call it. Well, you called him. <laughs> yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. speaking of television, you did an awful lot of television. Not only did you I do did. Uh, significant films, but you did a lot of television. And, yeah. um, for instance, you were Miss Devlin in Twilight Zone, where you turned out to be mm-hmm. Satan. Uh, you were uh, Ula Bungstrom in the Beverly Hillbillies, uh, mm-hmm. looking absolutely astonishing, astonishingly oh. exquisite. Uh, you were Eileen in Star Trek. Um, and you were um, uh, in Love Boat with Don Knotts, which was a very interesting pairing. Oh, uh, that was that was embarrassing. Mm. <laughs> we were both so badly cast. Really? He was supposed to be the the love the love boat of all time, and he's a short, funny, funny, funny man. Yes. And I was so ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> well, well, the sixties and the seventies was a great time for uh, television. To be guest starring or have your own program, or uh, then it was really a wonderful time. Well, of all the shows you did, I mean, you also did The Monkees, and mm-hmm. uh, was there a particular show? I mean, I, I even think you did Phil Silver's show, didn't you? Do that, Julie? I did. God bless Phil Silver's what a generous, kind, brilliant man. He gave so many people their start, or 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 their start. Um, Phil Silver's one of the great comics. He was, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, Absolutely. 70s, on film, in vaudeville, on the stage, wonderful. You know, my my favorite, I think, my almost my favorite show was The Monkees. Really? Yes, and John Lennon loved The Monkees. Oh, yes, he, he did. He thought that was a marvelous show. Yeah. There was something about that show that those four guys were just so inspired and it came across with a light touch. Yes. And they, the, the filming, the the directing, the camera work, the what they did, they wrote their own music, they toured, of course, they, and um, it was a very special experience for me. Oh, hello. Can I help you? Well, I, I was just running by and I, I thought I'd... Um... What are you doing here? April and I are having a private conversation about laundering science. It's a science, you know. Yeah? What's that? I'm working on my doctor's thesis. Do you realize that all over the world, there's a great reservoir of untapped dirt? 
You seemed particularly happy in that episode. I, I just played it the other day, and um, you know it's a laundromat setup. But then there's these these um, you know side sequences when you're on a motorbike, a motorcycle, and uh, you know they, they they pull back, and you have all four of them in the sidecar and what have you. Very, it's it's very much like the Marx Brothers to to pop yeah, music. Exactly, um, it's a light touch. It's imaginative. It's it's what the Beatles love to do and sing about and yes. write about. And mm-hmm. so. So when you did that, it, you seem to generally be having a ball. I mean, you seem to really be enjoying, the, particularly the music montage part. You would, it seemed yeah. like you could do what you wanted to do on the motorbikes and, and, and what have you. You did a film called McKenna's Gold with Omar mm. Sharif. What was it like working with Omar Sharif? Omar Sharif? I had such a crush on him. Oh, my dear. But in all the breaks when we were filming, Omar Sharif would be sitting on his little stool Surrounded by three other people. I know what you're going to say. Bridge. Yeah, and backgammon. That's what he really loved. Yes. And oh my God, was he a good actor? And so uh, I think not underappreciated. I think he underappreciated himself. But he said no to the wrong things and finally kind of left the business. Yes. Although I've seen his his work at the end of his life and it was still beautiful. You know, I met him before he was well-known at all in Egypt. Went there thanks to 20th Century Fox and uh, uh, Spiroscouros, who was then the president of Fox. And we went there for some big political thing for the Sonne Lumiere where they opened up the pyramids and lights at night and music, that kind of thing. And I met him there. Oh, what can I say? Uh, a dashing man, without question. I mean, just absolutely wonderful. And then you, oh, you also worked with uh, with with Kirk Douglas. Yes. And uh, what Kirk was... Douglas showed me his etchings. And and were they good? Were they good? Well, uh, they were. His etchings were with the great Russian painter that painted people floating in space. Ah. Okay. Come on. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Uh, yes. You're racking my brains out here. Oh my <laughs> you're going goodness. to. You're going to want to re- retract saying I was smart. <laughs> the Metropolitan Opera is discovered in his great. His, I, I've got the images in yes. my mind. I can't recall well, the, we the artist. Know. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. No, a gentleman, smart, brilliant, kind, a masterful, marvelous. Look at his kids. Wonderful. Let me ask you about Living Doll, uh, James Aubrey of CBS President approached you about that, and obviously it was with Robert Cummings. You have said elsewhere that this was one of the happiest periods of your life doing that show. Well, thank God for James Aubrey and the the men of, what shall I say, of power, you know? Significance. Yes, the powerful (laughs) ones who, they anoint you, you know? You, you're the star. Well, Well, what he gave me was something incredible, in my life. It was by far, in a way, the hardest role I've ever had. But it was a series in which um, it lasted two, how many seasons, I don't know. <clears throat> and I played a robot. Yes. Now, how do you play a robot other than do something physically technical? Mm. It, it is very difficult. It took me 13 weeks just to get the feeling that I could be acting from the inside out instead of just from the mind to my muscles, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So how did you, in the role of this Mm -hmm. living doll, which um, in a sense was almost like a prototype for a Stepford wife, um, you were this uh, uh, delightful feminine robotic creature how did you establish in your own mind the attitude that your character would have uh, a female robot uh, and and give her distinction at the same time god bless you attitude attitude is what she didn't have if she did what she was told yes so there's that confusion somebody tells you to do one thing and then you you hear another thing and then it mucks up the the works um there's where the comedy is supposed to be but i had a we had a wonderful second banana in jack Mullaney. yes so delightful so <laughs> underappreciated one of those actors that's 
kind of sits in the middle. You know, it's not a big mm-hmm. star or not just a, certainly not an extra, but someone that I just had the most remarkable uh, de- development through. Mm-hmm. He helped me learn comedy. He said, don't worry about that thing being in your way. Fall over it. Mm-hmm. Yes. In other words, yes. it was good to have to be, have things go wrong. Yes. Obstructions are yes. not a bad thing. Yes. Let yes. it go wrong. Yeah. yeah. To Catwoman for a moment, I understand, and I don't know if it's true, but I had, I had heard that at one time uh, Debbie Reynolds bought the MGM costume lot, of which... <laughs> Your yes. costume was there, but I've also heard it's in it's it's now in the Smithsonian. Do you have a, a costume yourself, or is it the only one that's gone? It's in the Smithsonian. Yes, I don't know where. I mean, I'm sure they don't keep it out front all the time, and it's on my own mannequin. Mannequin. You know what a mannequin is? Yes, yes, of course. You know, yeah. it's it's. A, they used to they make them of your own body, right. up to your measurements and that yes. kind of thing. And I had one made for myself. It cost nine hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. Um, so I gave it to the Smithsonian because all those other mannequins are. I'm five feet. I don't know how tall I am. Five feet eleven, maybe yes. ten. Yeah, I think you're five feet yeah. eleven. Yeah. Uh, don't let anyone measure me because they once put that they put that in press and. Well, I would imagine, Julie, that it would be in the Museum of Popular Culture because they have yeah. one, which is the Museum yeah. of Popular Culture. So like yeah, Carol Burnett's right. costume from mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when she was doing a, a, a send up of Gone with the Wind. So I'm, I'm presuming it's there. So yeah. I'm, it's, I'm sure. Was it was it leather? Was it made out of leather? No, it, a kind of lurex. Okay, like a latex? Slightly stretchy cloth. That's what works best. Yes. And there was kind of blue, highlights of blue that would make it sh- shimmer slightly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it had to fit. But I have the secret. <laughs> you ain't going to get it, although uh. you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> what person currently do you admire and what person from history do you admire the most? Oh, my. Um, well, Esther Hicks is a wonderful teacher of this period of time. And Esther Hicks is the voice or the, the mind of Abraham. You can look it up on, on YouTube, that kind of thing. She's a teacher, um, an enlightener, a mover and a shaker. And who else do I like? Well, Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky. Yeah, okay. Noam Chomsky, and in my day, Izzy Stone. Those we think politics, yes, or or about world conditions. When we think of those two people, who would you like to meet from history? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Cleopatra, I'd like to see her. Um, Chopin, I'd love to be with Chopin. Yeah, Chopin. I'd love to hear him yeah. play. And and he, he, his long romance was George Sands. George Sand. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 If you were to give advice to your audience right now, which you have, and, and you also have your wonderful website, uh, uh, Julie Newmar writes, um, what advice would you give us as far as conducting our lives in such a successful way that you have? Because you are a voice who has experienced glee, happiness, but also adversity personal challenge, emotional challenge, um, and you've persevered and come through with it with a, a lovely, generous, magnanimous outlook on life. Um, you've just recently had a birthday, and if you don't mind me sharing with the audience, you are 87. Or 78. It's a 7 and an 8. <laughs> okay. No, However you'd like it. Um, but what, I, what I, I, I admire about you, uh, amongst many things again, is your your candor and peace that you have with your age, and uh, and I see you as a model of someone to follow suit, of how mm-hmm. to go through the years, and um, to be to be comforted by the age that you are. I don't see any point in denying it. You know, embrace it. You heck? know, embrace mm-hmm. being seven or embrace well, being don't, seventy. You don't, you don't. You just don't. I mean, illness, all that stuff. It's a distraction. Yes. Oh, sorry yeah. about that, folks. I know it's hard to hear, but you have to live above it. And how do you do that, Julie? Well, well what do you have a mind for? 
Your mind can jump over anything. Tell yourself how to feel or just entice yourself in, into what makes you feel good and stay there. If you're not feeling good, you're not in your your wholeness. You're not where your divine self is meant you to be because you're perfect as you are. No one, no mm-hmm. one on earth ever came to this earth like you. You're perfect. I have to tell you that this has been one of the most treasured hours of my life, talking to you. And I will go back to what I said at the outset. You are far more than just an alluring feline catwoman from a 1960s television series. More, more, far more than that. Your artistry speaks for itself. And you can't be encapsulated or limited to six hours of villainary behavior. Um, You're an actress, a dancer, dancer of the soul. I think that's an important mm. statement. Dancer of the soul, musician, and uh, provocateur of insightful, original thought. And indeed, you are brilliant and a lady and beautiful. And I am so honored that you've been with us on Watching America today. I'm the one that's honored. Thank you. You're Thank lovely, you. Julie. You're absolutely Thank lovely. You. I'm going to send you, if I may be so bold, mm-hmm. I hope you won't, this is on the cheek, I'm going to s- send you a kiss, okay? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an audio yep. kiss for your cheek. Here it comes, ready? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I adore you. Uh, Julie Newmar, thank you so much. And when your book comes out, The Nine Lives mm-hmm. of Julie Newmar, which I'm looking forward to, would you please remember old Alan Campbell here and come back on, on Watching America with us again? young Alan Campbell. I'll be there with you. <laughs> Great. Thank you again. Take care. God bless you, dear. Thank it's been you. lovely. Thank you. Thank you. It started with a kiss. You've been listening to Watching America. Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our assistant producer, Jordan Christie. Our producer, Paul Bebo. Our senior producer is Gina Gamboni. Executive producer, Chuck Dowd. Chief of content, Heather Mazzoni. And CEO, Bert Schmidt. I'm watching America's creator and host, Dr. Alan Campbell. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your kind and considerate contributions that make this show possible. Until next time, take care and blessings. Batman, a gentleman would kiss a lady's hand. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.